Welcome to the Fireside Chat, episode number three. I'm your host, Nick Papa, and I'm joined by my guest, Jay Bonifield from the Everett Washington Fire Department. Thanks for joining me today, Jay. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. Pleasure to be here. All right. Why don't we start off by just giving a brief uh, introduction to yourself? Uh, yeah, so you mentioned uh, I work for the Everett Fire Department up here in Everett, Washington, uh, about a half hour north of Seattle. So I'm a tailboard firefighter. Uh, uh, so ride the back step of an engine and, and, uh, yeah, I just love what I do and, uh, father and, and, uh, husband, and that kind of keeps me occupied outside of the fire service. So. Absolutely. So the purpose of this conversation is, is going to be talking specifically about operating the nozzle. And one of the areas I want to hone in on specifically is, operating the nozzle in limited to zero visibility, as that can be one of the most daunting operations, especially for new firefighters in that position. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what your process is? So when you go out the door for a reported structure fire, and when you pull up, especially for those fires where it's not blowing out the windows and it's not blatantly obvious where the seat of the fire is and where we're going, Talk to me about some of your your size up process in when you start your size up from the tailboard. What are you looking for and how are you trying to pinpoint the seat of the fire? Yeah, so that that's uh, kind of where in order to get, uh, you know, quality nozzle work on the inside, like it starts on the outside because you kind of have to have a bearing of where you're going um in order to be successful inside or else you're going to end up kind of bumping around and, and getting lost potentially so uh from the outside when i show up basically i use the acronym ben at going or bag uh and i know that that's you know that's not mine i forget where i got it from but it's always kind of worked well for me it's you know in threes it's easy to remember and uh it really accomplishes a lot of the things that I want to be able to uh, to have as a nozzleman. So like my officer's gonna do a 360, uh, if it's possible because of the building size and whatever, but you know, just kind of speaking typical single family residence or duplex or something like that, right? We're gonna have, they're gonna do their 360 and they're collecting a bunch of information on the outside uh, is a lot of the same stuff that I'm looking for, where it's been, where it's at, where it's going, but they're also looking at, you know, officer stuff. Uh, and my job as a firefighter is really to also do a size up that's kind of complementary of their size up. And so one of the things that I can offer them is reconnaissance to what the interior conditions look like. So when I step off the rig, I just want to get like, if I can get two sides, because I'm not getting a 360 as a, as a tailboarder, if I can look at two sides of the building, the front and take a peek down a side, it allows me to do a couple things. Trace the smoke to its lowest level is one of the first things that I'll do. Uh, and if it's the ground, then obviously it's probably basement, right? So I'm going to trace the smoke to its lowest level first off. Uh, and then I'm going to have or quarter the building. So I'm just going to say like the example you gave, which is it's not blowing out a window. It's just smoke throughout the building. If I can find the area that the smoke is dense, uh, more dense and has more velocity and it looks like maybe I'll divide the building like it's in the back half of the building. So either the building's going to be deeper than it is wide or wider than it is deep, right? Or it's a square. In, so those are kind of my three 
ways that I'll, I'll break up that building. If it's a deeper than wide building, like a two and a half story wood or one and a half story wood, something like that, I try to go, is the fire look like it's more towards the back or the front of the building? If it's a wider than deep, like a rambler or something like that, split level, is it more towards you know one side or the other? So if I can just have the building, and in order to do that, I need to get a two side look, trace it to its lowest level, then that uh, basically allows me to go, hey, was, it, was the fire an inside start that is now working throughout the building or was it an exterior start that worked its way into and up into the attic? So those, and did it start below me? Those are the big questions that I wanna ask for myself. And then by having the building, I get a little bit of a head start on that bearing, that general direction that I'm going to start working towards once I get into the front door. Um, when I get up to the door, open the door, and I'm just looking, is there an intake? So is there air pulling in? Even if it's, you know, I don't, whether or not the intake is, you know, most of the door or, you know, it's just six inches off the floor that's just kind of pulling in. Um, you know, we can get in the weeds on that a little bit, but really what I'm looking for is, is there an intake present? Because an intake present means that there, that the fire is on my level or above me. If the whole door is an intake, it's probably above me or it started on the exterior of the building. If there's bi-directional intake exhaust, then that means the fire is probably on my level. If there is no intake, I'm above the fire or could be a void space but typically I'm, I'm above the fire in that instance. So th those are my three reads at the door, close the door down. I'll, I'll usually throw the deadbolt. If my officer's not back, I'll close the door down. So that way it doesn't relock. You know, obviously I've checked for, is there a victim there called out, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but then when my officer comes back, they've done a 360. They've got kind of this picture from the exterior of the building, but the, the piece of reconnaissance they don't have is what does the interior look like? Right. I have that reconnaissance. And so, but I don't have what the 360 looks like. So we kind of both have what we together can put together this com more complete picture of. And we just have a really quick conversation at the door. You know, hey, Cap, looks like I got an uh, intake here. It looks like it's on our level. You know, boom, whatever. What are you seeing? Hey, it looks like it's in the kitchen on the back on the Charlie side. Right. Like the R2, our quick conversation at the, at the the door before we enter can end up giving me so much more reconnaissance so i'm like oh, okay check got it i'm going to be traveling for a while before i'm going to start opening up right it, that's what i'm anticipating worst case scenario though he gets done with this 360 he comes back around i you know i say hey cap uh i don't have any air pulling in across the floor what are you seeing it looks like it might be below us maybe he didn't catch it if nothing else it's just a redundant kind of communication to make sure we don't crawl in over a basement fire unchecked. So maybe he wants to, you know, tick the side of the building or go double check. Ah, I didn't see anything in the basement, but let me double check the window well, something like that. Oh, shoot, yeah, basement fire, right? So, you know, just kind of concisely trace the smoke to its lowest level. Did it start outside or below? Where is it going, right? Is it going up into the attic or something like that? which is more pertinent in like a multifamily uh, apartment fire type of scenario. Single family attic fires aren't really a big deal. Uh, knee wall spaces though, that's a big deal. And then my interior read is just, is it below me on my level or above me? So that's kind of the exterior size up 
in a in a nutshell for me. So when we talk about moving within the structure, and you touched on some really critical size up points already, but when we talk about specific building construction, uh, definitely in the the single family private dwelling arena, can you tell me is there certain footprints that you typically see or certain layouts that are very common throughout the different private dwelling styles? Yeah, so, you know, and this is getting into a little bit of the, you know, regionalization of the fire service, right? You'll have like, you know, uh, like where I live, uh, it's not, I don't live in the city that I, I work in. Where I live here, there's a lot of uh, wider than deep ramblers or ranches, if you want to call them that, but single level, big vaulted ceilings, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, they're going to have in this area some very common uh, architectural designs that are very frequent that they're going to go into. You know, any any department where I work in Everett. It's an older, uh, older mill town. We have a lot of one and a half, two and a half story wood frame, deeper than wide because they're on old, you know, city lots, gridded lots, right? And so a lot of them are going to have a very similar footprint. And because of that, that offers you a lot of predictability. Uh, now, there's the layouts can have of, of these buildings can have, you know, small in intricacies within those, but really, I try not to get bogged down with what does the exact layout look like? Just am I entering, a, am I entering, when I enter that front door of that house, am I entering what looks like a hallway that's gonna branch up? So if, if the building is wider than deep, then I'm probably gonna enter a hallway or a living room and I'm gonna have hallways spreading left and right off of that. So I'm gonna go in about 10 feet, pause at my junction, I call it, and then look low, listen, look for the airflow, listen overhead. That's one of the big things that you really got to open up your ears because guys just want to go like, go, 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 go. As soon as they get inside and we forget to listen, listen. Uh, and then you, you'll ping the fire left or right without overrunning. it. If the building is deeper than it is wide, like this old one and a half, two and a half story wood and that fires on my level, I just want to make sure I don't overrun this junction where sometimes you'll have them, um, they'll kind of split off the entryway. You'll have like a formal dining room, or like a living room, formal dining room, kitchen. You'll have, you know, a couple rooms off the front, maybe a bedroom or two uh, off that, off that other side. So you, you kind of have a two way go from the front door there. Same thing. Just don't overrun the junction, hit it uh, at about that five to 10 feet inside the front door, sit down, look like when I say low, I mean, head on the floor, right? Like sometimes the different, you know, six inches, 12 inches or whatever, you think you're low enough, but your head is still in the smoke, get your head all the way on the floor. So you can really see that air where it's pulling and, and listen, and you'll be able to ping that fire pretty easily just, just by not overrunning and by pausing at that junction. And I think that that's going to be a theme of the conversation today is it, let's pull on the thread a little bit more of that operational tempo, that that pace of movement. Can you speak a little bit more on that, uh, especially go, going into that uh, poor or no visibility environment? Can you talk about the importance of slowing things down a little bit and talk about your pace of movement? Mm. Yeah, so if it, for me, the, and the, I, I think that this is probably... Uh, 
uh, applicable broadly, but it, when you, when you build like kind of call them checkpoints or just like points in which you're going to slow yourself down and force yourself to pause, it allows you to take in information better because when we're on, when you, when you're on a fire, I mean, you know how it is, you get kind of, when you're working, when you're active, you're not absorbing a ton of information. You're kind of zooming in on the task and then back when you pause, you're able to zoom back out at the picture in on the task out on the picture. So when I get to the door and I open that door, that's my moment to like, I stop doing what I'm doing. I, I stop masking up. I stop everything, open the door, look at what I've got. Is there air pulling in the door? All that kind of stuff. You know, is there life behind the door? If I can get a layout uh, of the building, you know, but in this kind of scenario where it's just kind of chugging and there's not really a, uh, a, a clean burning seat yet, um, a lot of times I'm not going to be able to see more than a couple feet inside the door. And that's, that's just, it is what it is. So if I just pause there for a second and take it in and remember to listen, then I can glean a lot of information so that when I zoom back in on whatever my task is, maybe it's masking up fast or getting the water to the end of the line. Uh, I'm able to do that stuff having collected information as opposed to trying to collect information while I'm working. And I'm, I'm not talking about pausing for long periods of time here, but you've got a couple seconds. So pause. And then when I go to enter in that door, I open up the door. I'm going forward with the kind of mental confidence. Like I know the fire's on my level. Like I I'm safe. I got this thing. Right. So already that brings me down a notch because if there's now familiarity with the, with the incident, crawl in that five, 10 feet, force myself to pause. Uh, that does a couple things. It allows my backup man, who's usually my officer to, actually catch up with feeding line because a lot of times they're done with their 360 and now they're behind me masking up so they're going to try to mask up real quick and feed line with one hand they you know got the battalion chief squawking at them on the radio with the other hand and doing the whole dance right and so it allows them to kind of catch up a little bit uh it also allows me to really check a couple of things like i said look low and listen and if i'm still having questions at that point I don't want to continue going forward. Uh, uh, I don't want to continue going forward and over committing one direction or another without just real quick, hey, Cap, I need to tick, right? And so that's always kind of my go-to. If there, if there's, if I'm questioning, I'd rather catch it early before I continue, before I overrun something or whatever. Uh, so I'll get in that five to ten feet, pause, look low, listen. If I, if I know where it's at, boom, let's go get it. If I don't, hey, Cap, tick, right? He'll come up, tick in front of my face, give me a quick five-second you know, scan of the, okay, now I got it, fire's over there, let's go, right? And that saves me from, you know, I man, I think we were talking about the other day, like I ended up in a bathroom once, right? And the guy behind me is like, oh, it's hot. And I'm sitting there like, what are you talking about, man? Fire's out, right? And I overran it. I overran the fire room and I'm sitting there, you know, messing around in a bathroom thinking I'm crushing it. And, uh, you know, I, I overran the fire room. I just missed it. That happens. So, uh, but doing the work on the front end of it and that good size up of I'm collecting information that's two sides. 
which side or front to back is that fire looking like listen feet like all that kind of stuff and then ticket if i can uh if i have to uh all of that stuff on the front end of it and then pausing intermittently on the advance when i enter into a new space if i feel like i've entered in through like a doorway or something like that every doorway that i enter through i pause for just a, a couple of seconds and if i'm flowing water it allows me to map water more effectively uh but all Again, it allows my my backup man to catch up with feeding line, so it's not fatiguing us. Um, and it also allows me to, like I said, when you're when you're moving, you're not absorbing as much information. You pause, take it in. Okay, cool. I've got better situational awareness now. Now get back to working. Yeah, and I think that's such a powerful tool. Is we often underestimate how much noise that the fire produces itself, and, and you know how. When we take that moment to just pause, stop moving, stop talking, and we just use our senses, how how much we can pick up from that. And it, the faster we move, like I said, that the more that tunnel vision starts to come in. And one of the other signs of moving too fast and you know letting ourselves getting too ramped up is that auditory exclusion, and we miss out on those those, those auditory pieces. So that's huge. And but I, I really love that using those those doorways as waypoints or checkpoints to, to uh, create a forced stop. And I think that's, yeah. that's critical, especially when the fire's not right out in front of you and it's, it's very clear to see, you know, where it is and where we're going. So that's huge. Uh, so what I want to talk about now is the one thing that tends to be one of the more frequently asked questions when it comes to the nozzle firefighter position and operating the nozzle, which is, when do we open up the nozzle? Yeah, so this this one is uh, and this one is one that when I was when I was really starting a lot of my my journey and getting into all this stuff uh, was kind of the the question I wanted to ask uh, or that I wanted to answer uh, just because I was getting so much conflicting information and um, you know I think really there's there's a couple of there, there's these ends of the spectrum where you have like a clean burning obvious you've got fire like yep crush it right uh, obvious and then you've got this um other end of the spectrum kind of the smaller contents fire uh and, and then like this vast area between the two right and that's where all the 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 quabbling or the you know the the arguments and stuff are going to going to kind of happen is in that, that vast area in between. So, you know, I'm going to move in without flowing as far as I can move in. I mean, if I can walk in awesome, if I can duck walk in awesome, if I can, you know, crawl, in, if I'm going to walk in, drop down, duck, walk, drop down, crawl. I mean, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to take the, take the agility and the speed and the, you know, all that kind of stuff that comes with. Yes, go. You don't, you shouldn't be, you know, crawling really unless you have to, right? But once you get to this point where you're like, yeah, I'm going to start engaging with the fire. Um, like if I have fire kind of meeting me at the front door, uh, you know, blowing out on the front porch or whatever, I'll probably go in standing up while I'm flowing. And then I'll, as soon as I get in through that front door, I will drop down and just 
pause and stop moving forward for a second so I can really wash that room down well. So I'm not dragging my line over a bunch of hot stuff and, you know, all, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? The other thing that dropping down does for me is when I drop down to a kneeling position, it stabilizes me and allows me to conserve energy. And it allows me to be able to just like you, like we're talking about with the pauses, I'm not just head down working. I'm pausing and I'm playing water back for, you know, left, right, all of that kind of stuff. And it allows me to, while my hands are working, actually detach a little bit mentally and process what is going on downstream from me what is my stream hitting what is the shape of the room uh is it like when you knock down a room if there's another room beyond it on fire typically what'll happen is you'll get like you'll get the room you're in to go dark and then you'll kind of see this like glow start to re-emerge if you're looking for it you'll see this kind of quick glow come back from the area that's still on fire ahead of you and so it allows you to actually process that right because now i'm putting water over here and I'm not trying to move forward. I'm looking, where's that glow coming back from? Oh, there it is. Now I want to continue that way. So that's kind of like this ability to stay oriented just by, again, pausing, get inside the front door, drop down, pause. Now, you know, some guys are going to want to be able to kind of stand up and duck walk with the line open from that point because the, the whole floor was hot and all that kind of stuff. Some guys are going to want to more knee walk it. You know, it's, it's, um, I prefer to stay lower and, uh, you know, I get it. Like I work with guys that don't like to stay as low. The advantage of staying lower, I will say is if you do a good job, like washing the floor down and, and get water on the floor and stuff, um, you know, you, you, you eliminate that, that knee burn risk that some of the guys like I work with, they're like, ah, I don't know about that. You, you do eliminate that concern, but it provides you so much more stability you're not tripping over stuff the higher your center of gravity is the more you're going to trip the more off balance you are the worse your water mapping is going to be and water mapping is just your ability to place water when i go into a box that was on fire the box is big this way or it's long if it's a hallway it's long which i'm going to try to reach with my stream down that length and kind of tighten up my stream a little bit more if it's big though like a living room i'm going to have to put water 90 left 90 right back behind me and then when i move into that room i'm gonna have to redo everything back here because i don't want to pass a bunch of heat so it's a lot easier for me to do that from a kneeling position like a knee walk i'm able to kind of more effortlessly get water back over my shoulder as opposed to when i'm more duck walking uh then i have to actually turn my whole body so I'm actually more efficient. And the, the more that I can conserve my energy, the more I can stay balanced, the more that I can keep traction, I'm not slipping all over the place with my feet, the more that I can do those things, the more situational awareness I have to be able to absorb information such as where am I going next? What is my water doing? What, how much water does this room need? Did I put enough over there? Uh, all of that kind of stuff because I'm not, my body's not so focused on I'm gassed and I'm off balance. Because as soon as you get tired and you, as soon as you fatigue and as soon as you're off balance, your body just instantly, your nozzle goes stock still, you stop moving your stream and you're just focused on survival. It's just innate in all of us as, as human beings.
So the more that I can do to be able to alleviate that by keeping my center of gravity low, well-balanced, keep traction and keep my, my energy levels, the better off I am for the duration of the firefight when we're talking about like multiple rooms of fire there. So I want to pull a little bit deeper and I want us to really home in on that, like deep into that shade of gray that you talked mm -hmm. about. So we've moved in, moved in on the fire and we've got lights out conditions. And one of the things that's made our job more complicated is with the evolution of our SCBA and especially our turnout gear, we've lost a lot of our, our tactile sense of um, awareness with the environment. We've lost that acuity. So we can't rely so much on those telltale signs of, you know, the pins and needles on the ears or on the back of your neck that, you know, our predecessors once uh, very reliably um, utilized. So how do you know when it's time to open up when, because the, the density of the smoke these, mm -hmm. uh, these days and the fires we're encountering is so much so that it can actually obscure or camouflage that smoke in the, the overhead. So how do we know it's time to, to open up? What are some of those, those cues that you use, or, you know, what do you default to in those moments as the nozzle firefighter where you don't have that thermal imager, you know, right yeah. in front of your face that's re readily available? So one of the things right out of the gate is if I, from the outside of the building, if I have, if I have smoke below the doorknob and I just, you know, below the doorknob is just a good kind of uh, a halfway point there. There's a lot of smoke accumulation. And if it has push, if that smoke has push to it and it's below the doorknob and push, meaning like it, there's smoke that looks like it's kind of falling out of the building right? And then there's smoke that is pushing out of the building. And I really, it's one of those things where it's, it's hard without, you know, a video or whatever to say, that's just kind of how I would verbally describe it is a smoke that's just kind of like tumbling out, falling out of the building. That's not smoke that I consider I need to flow on this right now. But if it's got push to it, that push means heat, right? So those surfaces, hot surfaces, and like as that as those gases heat, they expand, and that expansion is causing that push, right? And those hot surfaces are driving that that push out of the door. And if that's below uh, the doorknob, it's just kind of the rough uh, for the front door of the of the house or apartment that I'm going into. That rough landmark that I use. If it's below the doorknob, I'm gonna take my stream and I'm gonna open up there and walk that thing back, my stream back as far as deep as I can from that doorway to cool those surfaces because there's enough volume and density of smoke and then heat with that that push is telling me that there's heat involved there as well that necessitate uh hitting those surfaces and and cooling them off to buy me that time to be able to advance in a little bit further right i don't want to just put my head down and just start going in now what if i'm going in let's say you know i didn't have that uh, I didn't feel like I need to hit it from the door. If I have, if I have fire, turbulent smoke, uh, or thick smoke with a push down below that halfway point, that door, those are all indicators for me, flow water. Okay. Now, sometimes you get in there and it's just smoky and you can't really see that, you know, that, that indicator below the, the doorknob or whatever. And again, that's, that's rough. I will say 
there's a little bit of a caveat to that. And that's depending on your area. And you can tell this from the outside, the, the building construction on the outside, like the house that, that uh, my family and I live in, uh, you can tell there's vaulted ceilings right inside our front entryway. Like vaulted ceilings aren't really a mystery. You can kind of tell them if you, if you understand building construction, architecture and stuff, you can understand, you, you know where the vaulted ceilings are in that house. You can tell by the roof line, all that kind of stuff. And so if there's vaulted ceilings, that's where that whole doorknob thing kind of goes out the window. I will treat, if I anticipate I'm going into a big room, I will treat that early with water because those big rooms, those big vaulted spaces can accumulate so much heat, so much dense smoke. And, and you just don't really, they mask it so well from underneath, but once they light off, they, they go right. And they go fast. And it is, it, it is a really, that that's where your inch and three quarter line can get overwhelmed. Right. So there, and typically vaulted vaulted areas have big picture windows that are prone to failure, a lot of air coming in. And now you're in that little man door on the backside of that thing. It's a really bad place to be. So Moral of the story is that's kind of my one caveat it, where I'm going, even if I don't have necessarily that smoke bank down to that level, it's because of the volume of the ceiling. And I'm going to treat that with water early, boom, 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 get a bunch of water up there to keep that thing from lighting off. Now, let's just kind of tuck that one to the side. Okay, we're going in. I didn't feel like I need to flow from the door. It's not a big vaulted area. I start moving in and I'm, I'm getting low. Uh, and I want to just, get as low as I can. If, if there's any visibility for me while I'm crawling, uh, awesome, right? I want to take advantage of that visibility. Now, if I'm able to see with my flashlight, I'll take my chest light and go low. I don't, I don't ever have a helmet light on when I'm inside a building because that helmet light just reflects everything. So helmet lights are, I don't even carry one on my helmet, uh, but I have a chest light. And I'll get that chest light nice and low. Some guys carry the uh, the box light. That's fine. Just a, a good low light. If you have, so if you hear snapping and popping, that that for sure tells you you open up, right? Because uh, and I've had that a bunch of times. If you're if you're really uh, paying attention, a lot of times you'll see embers falling through. That's another thing. But you've got to pause. Like in your pauses when you go in, that 10 to 15 feet. You're never gonna see or hear that stuff if you don't pause. So pause, look low. If, if you have turbulent smoke that you can see and that turbulence meaning it's got push and it's kind of churning, that means hot surfaces all around start cooling because it's gonna light off there pretty soon, right? And I want to, I don't want to advance past all that. If I have a, if I have a, a dark, thick smoke, and if they're, you know, honestly, this is something that probably doesn't get brought up a lot because it's hard to articulate. But if you have a gut feel that says, I, I might want to flow water, do it. They can't, you're not going to hurt anything. And you know what? You probably are in the right because we just kind of have this like innate survival sense. And you, you can get more accurate with more experience, more time. But, but really, like my career, I, I have been uh, – impressed by the accuracy of my gut and the guys that I work with their guts when they just say like I don't know how to articulate it but my gut said do this and it was right so I, I'm looking for that 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 push which equals heat any speed in smoke is heat I just think of it as heat which means hot surfaces which means cool it down so uh you know tick if you can get the tick 
in front of your face from your officer. Um, awesome. But it's not ne it's not a absolute necessity have to have. Right. The residential firefight typically is so fast paced that you just don't have that time other than within that first few 10 to 15 feet from the front door. Once you start traveling inside that building to be able to uh, pause and call for somebody to move up and, and tick in front of you, your window of opportunity. I mean, this is kind of a knife fight in a phone booth, so to speak. Your window of opportunity is probably passed. Like you're, you, that's a, it, it's, it's just unnecessary when uh, the conditions that prompted you to call for the tick probably were the conditions that you should have just said, I'm going to flow. Right. Now that's perfect segue into my next question, which is, Tell me how you map your uh, you map your water and how you apply your stream, especially in the that, that those first couple moments, because especially you know those that are more aggressive are going to start operating that line around in it, that that O pattern, whipping it around. And now there's obviously a time and a place for that, but tell me about the the first couple moments once you open the stream what you're looking for, what you're doing, and you know, what are you trying to get uh, back in return as feedback? Yeah, so when I, when I feel like now is my moment to engage with this, with this firefight. So I'm either opening up because I have uh, you know, smoke conditions, like I said, thick turbulence, it's got push, uh, all, of that, all of that stuff that would drive me to say, there's hot surfaces, I don't have visible fire, Maybe I hear the popping over the head, all that kind of stuff, or I've got actual uh, uh, visible fire that I'm opening up on. Any one of those is now it's time to engage in this firefight. So I, when I engage in the firefight, first motion is I open the nozzle over my head and I take the shape of the box with my stream. So do you need to be exact? No, but you kind of have a good idea of a, of a feel just based on the exterior size up of the space that you're in, right? If I, if I have a building that's wider than it is deep, I'm probably going into that front door is going into a pretty big space, right? If I'm going into a building that's deeper than it is wide, I'm gonna choke it down. It's more like a tunnel right back the rooms as they stacked on each other now there will be like boxes stacked upon boxes but uh you know whatever box i feel like i'm in i'm just going to take the shape of the of the box because the heat takes the shape of the box right and you have a room or multiple rooms that's burning and then you have the extension that the that smoke and that heat is coming through right and ideally i want to engage this i don't want to wait until i crawl all the way up into uh, those spaces that are on fire to start engaging with them. I wanna use that reach of my stream to the full advantage because there's so much heat throughout and there's so much good my stream can do by opening up earlier. I can contract all the gas, you know, these gases create survivable space. I can impact the search crews around me by opening up and by starting to move that air, like all of this stuff, right? So keeping that in mind that opening up the nozzle early may not be because I need it as a nozzleman. Like maybe I'm thinking, yeah, I can continue. Like I'm not hot right now. I can keep on going until I get there. But opening up earlier and cool, starting that cooling contraction lift and air introduction process is going to benefit everybody around me 
it's not just for me, right? And it's for the victims. And and ultimately, like, especially on like floor two, if there's a stairwell involved in that house, that all that stuff's going up the stairwell and there's folks that need, our guys that need to get up there and search on floor two, I'm going to start the process of kind of confining everything to the, the rooms of origin and, and really benefit them dramatically upstairs just by opening up my nozzle a little bit sooner. So that's kind of that global look at it. Now, when I open up, start high above my head, stream takes the shape of the box and I move the stream back and forth, left to right, right to left. And UL calls it wall, ceiling, wall. Uh, but what I found is I use it and I'm going to use a word picture here, but uh, I, I grew up uh, with my, my grandparents and my blind Uncle Jim. And Uncle Jim, uh, whenever he goes into an area that he like he's walking in a, a building that he's not familiar with, it's not his house. He doesn't use a cane around the house, but he uses a cane when he's out and about, right? And he sweeps that cane out in front of him, left to right, right to left, because he can't see. And so by going left to right, right to left, you're able to get kind of that that orientation when you hit something on that left side like here you're able to orient to that object right and move around and you're able to kind of feel it the the uh rough size of that object just because you're going left to right right to left if you're doing squigglies all over the place it's hard it's much harder to orient to where something is when you bump into it and i, I view my stream a lot like blind uncle jimmy's cane that he uses as an orientation tool so I, not, Taking the shape of the box not only cools the surfaces the way that they're absorbing heat, which is taking the shape of the box. I drop it down, boom, 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 boom. And I'm not moving my body forward at this point. I'm doing all this stationary. And then when I get my stream down range, I'm going that left to right, right to left. And I'm listening for my stream. Where does it fall into, right? Is it falling into a doorway? Is it hit? Because you'll hear it hitting walls and hitting stuff. And then it'll, at, at a couple of different points, it'll like fall away. And you're like, oh, okay, it feels like there's a door over there or something, right? If you're looking for that glow to come back, a lot of times that's when you'll see it right there because you've kind of knocked everything back and you've started to introduce some air, but you're not getting water really in enough quantity through that room, in through that doorway into the room that's on fire. And so it'll start to kind of come back. You'll see that glow pop back. Pop back awesome that means you've got it you know it's on the ropes go and finish it off right but i'll keep that stream drop it down left to right boom 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 and then when i get a feel for that's the door or that's the hallway that's on fire that's where i want to go that's when i tighten it up and start kind of spinning the nozzle a little bit more on that area and i don't need it to take the exact shape of that area that i'm going but i just want to keep pressure keep my stream going to bounce water into that room and to create a seal on that space ahead of me, uh, a rough seal to kind of, because now it's going to keep all that crap from coming out of that doorway or that hallway or wherever I'm going next. And before I start moving forward, I'll give the floor a few good sweeps and then I'll get right back on that space. So as I'm stationary and I'm going boom, 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 I drop it down. Oh, there's the door hallway I want to go into. I'm going to tighten up and I'm going to keep my stream there. Wash the floor down a couple times, tighten it up, start moving forward. Once I get about halfway through that room, roughly, that I think that I'm in, I'll come back off of that space, get behind, get behind, back down. And uh, so I'll, I should say I'll pause, 
get behind, get behind, all that good stuff, and then back down on that spot. Because if I try to move while I'm doing that, I'll lose the spot where I'm going, right? And then once I've got that spot again, that doorway, that hallway, whatever, now I'll continue moving up on it. I'll get just to that door and I'll make sure as I'm approaching it, as I approach it, my angle to that doorway is opening, right? And my stream now, I'm able to put more water into that room as my angle gets better. When I get to the doorway of that room that was burning, that's when I'll just pause outside of the door, boom, 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 and just wash that room down, top to bottom, top to bottom, top to bottom, floor, 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 a bunch of times. And then I push all the way inside that room, right? So it's kind of a, kind of a process that involves pauses throughout that process because once we start engaging in the fire like we got it we're going to crush this thing it's just a matter of are we going to if i if i just fix bayonets and charge a lot of times that's when people get lost they overrun fire rooms they end up in areas they don't they don't realize we're like oh shoot i thought the fire room was over here and i ended up over here you lose visibility you lose your ability to be able to detach and absorb information and stay oriented without pausing on the way to, oh, by the way, you also, when you pause, you cool more effectively the spaces in front and around you because you're playing more water about uh, from, diff from different angles. You're not just stream lasered ahead of you. So, and when you open up and you start to kind of that initial sweep back and forth, I'm not spinning the nozzle fast. So if I, if I wanna break up my stream, then I, I want to whip that thing, right? And that's, I view that, that whipping of the nozzle, that's like close quarter combat firefighting. I want my stream broken up all around me, all that good stuff. Uh, but if I want to feel a room, if I want to re use reach in heat, like I know I've got a bunch of heat downstream, my stream's got about like that 20 to 25 foot reach and punch in heat with that inch and three quarter, 170 ish gallons a minute. Uh, I want to be, if I want to use the full reach of that stream, I need to not mechanically break it up by whipping it too hard in the front end of it. So I'm going to kind of, you know, not slow, but just kind of nice and easy. Boom, 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 drop it down. And I'm listening as it goes left to right, like click, click. Oh, there was a door. Click, click. There's a door. Click, click. There's a door right there. I can feel that door. And now when I'm confident this space is good, now I'm gonna kind of keep pressure on that door. But when I get into that, like the room was on fire, the floor was burning. Now I start whipping that thing around. That's time, it's close quarters. You want that, that mechanical breakup and those fat droplets to come rain down all over the place. And I don't care about that kind of echolocation of any objects because I'm at the, I'm at the place where everything was burning. Now it's time to just bust everything up and go nuts on it, right? But if you do that to start with, you'll see guys open up the stream and just crash, 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 crash. You can't tell where anything's at. And you're just like, ah, in your head. You're just, oh, oh and you're, you know, yelling all that kind of stuff. You, can, you don't know where you're at. And it's just pure dumb luck if you end up at the fire room at that point. So I think that the overarching theme of this episode is just, deliberacy and moving with a purpose and making sure that we're taking advantage of those checkpoints as we move to reassess and to re uh, to taking those opportunities to 
reorient ourselves and take stock of where we're at and where the uh, what in relation to the fire. So th that was tremendous. And to round this all out, so when you talked about that transition from when we were initially going, you know, left to right wall, ceiling wall, and you're getting a sense of the environment, you know, feeling through your feeling and hearing through your stream. And we've once we've isolated the, the direction that we're going to go and we're applying water. Talk to me about the difference of pushing or flowing and moving versus shutting down and moving in the hit and move. So yeah. talk to me about the, the pros and cons of both, you know, and because that's a, a, the other major you know, point of contention regarding nozzle operations. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so in, in my, um, my mindset on this, just as, as I've grown in my journey and, and learned, you know, I've had some fantastic mentors and, and uh, you know, coupling it with just a lot of, uh, a lot of time uh, being able to, especially in acquired structure burns, uh, be able to just dissect why we do what we do. And then, you know, coupling it with, you know, uh, good field experience and all that kind of stuff and being able to really like, uh, you know, reconcile these, these experiences together. So my, my thought process on this has, has kind of, I, I want to say changed, but it's evolved over time. It's, it's refined over time, uh, to where, from where, you know, there was like this, uh, when I started in the fire, it, for me in my area, when, when I started, it was like hit and move and it was really penciling, right? Penciling was the, the kind of go-to. And then there was flowing while moving kind of started to come on later on. And, uh, those two were kind of viewed in opposition to each other. Um, you know, and that's a whole long story in of itself, but in a, in a nutshell, they were kind of viewed in opposition to each other. And then over time I started to realize like, no, I mean, there's just, uh, um, they they're really just kind of different uh i don't want to say there's a time and a place like basically where i'm at right now is when you engage with the fire nozzle open more than nozzle closed okay and, and that's that's essentially i think what my journey has taught me is that if if you engage in that firefight and again we're, we're not talking about like small contents fires here we're talking about working structure fires where the heat and fires is, is trying to escape and extend beyond the room of origin, right? That's what we're talking about here, which that that's kind of an important detail because a lot of, a lot of people, when you get involved in this conversation, you know, uh, a lot of folks don't want to admit they don't go to as many fires as they think they do, and they don't have as much experience as they think they do. And so to say like, yeah, essentially the bulk of my experience is fighting pallet fires in a class A burn facility, like their image of what a fire we're fighting inside is, is a contents fire, right? A, a glorified pump can fire in a lot of cases. Um, and so being able to kind of disarm that and say, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about heat and fire extending beyond the room of origin, one or multiple rooms of fire that are, you know, post flash or all that kind of stuff, right? That's what we're talking about here. And um, when you go to engage in that firefight, if I can do it in a way, once I, if I've crawled in, I've walked in, whatever I've done, I've dropped down and I said, I'm going to start fighting fire from this point forward. If I can do it all the way to the fire room with the nozzle open, perfect. Awesome. That's ideal. Like UL says, 
uh, on the uh, more water on the approach directly relates to more tenable conditions for uh, firefighters and potential trapped occupants. Like that's in, uh, I, I think the uh, the first, um, the uh, not the not the acquired structure study, but uh, fire, the fire attack and fire stream study. Yeah. Fire, yes, thank you. The fire attack and fire stream study. Right. Like that was a prominent feature of that study and one that I, I think really kind of gets glossed over in this conversation. More water on the approach directly relates to more tenable conditions for everybody involved, all parties. So if I can do it in a way where I have that nozzle open the whole way to the fire room, what that gives me is more gas cooling, more surface cooling, more gas contraction, more air introduction and entrainment from behind. Uh, more sealing off and reversal of the flow path, uh, all of these things, right? Because as soon as I shut my line down, if I am not at the fire room or rooms, then it's going to rebound and come back. So when the nozzles open, the building's under my control. When the nozzle closes, unless I'm at the fire room, I give the building back to the fire for a few seconds, right? So um, and, you know, in, in regards to like search conditions, like if, if I can impact things so that the guys and gals around me searching are doing so in a way that they're like more efficient, they're standing, they're duck walking, there's more clarity, I can affect that with my nozzle, right? If I'm going in there and I'm hit it, shut down, hit it, shut down, hit it over here, shut down, it's going to make for a much more like just kind of foggy, uh, humid lack of visibility it's it's going to make a, just a bunch of soup all around us right and sometimes you end up with that regardless but if the nozzle is open and it's moving and it's sealing and it's contracting and it's pulling air in there's going to be faster lift all around in the building starting from the furthest reaches and then towards you and as a nozzleman you don't see the fruit of your labor until the very end you're the last one to, to really reap the benefits of that but everybody else does Right. And they go from searching, crawling around and all that kind of stuff to like, oh, get, let's get this place opened up. And I can see like searches get done faster. Victims get found faster. Oxygen concentrations while the victims are waiting to get found, improve all of that kind of stuff. Right. And so now what about like if I physically can't keep the nozzle open, uh, there's hoarding conditions where I've got to kind of hit it, shut down, crawl over some stuff. Like all of that stuff is real. That's real world stuff, right? Uh, the nozzle is over pumped and I can't get, you know, word out to the, to the driver to drop it down. And I physically can't hold on to this. I mean, like you name it, there's, there's issues that come up and they're real world issues. Okay. That that's the real world. And to say that that doesn't happen and you just need to, you know, grit through it. Like that's just not feasible. So in that case, fall back on longer hitting moves. Like, Take same exact thing, take the shape of the box, boom, 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 boom. Get water going downrange as if you're going to push. Start lobbing water, start shelling the beach downrange and softening that target. Get as much bang for your buck out of that position that you can. And then if you feel you start to go forward and you're like, I can't, there's too much stuff in the way. I got to sh shut it down, shut it down, get your stuff out of the way, get over that pile of crap or whatever it is, down that little goat trail, whatever it is, right? And then hurry up because you're on the clock hit it again start that process over again boom 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 right and so you're you're not flowing while moving uh purely you're kind of 
moving a few feet and then you're restarting that process again because of some circumstance kind of outside of your control. Now that where it gets messy is I don't just want to use that and say like default to, um, you know, big long hit moves because I don't like to push or I don't want to push. I, I mean, there's just no debating it. Flowing while moving is more, more gooder for everybody around us. Right. Uh, and us included. And it's just, it's just better. So if you, if you can do that, you shall do that, right? But if you can't because of some other reason, default to big, long hit and moves, take flow more water than you think you need to reach that stream as far out. I don't want to just do it right up above my head. I want to take that stream and drop it down, sweep the floor, all that stuff, and just get as much water downrange as I can before shutting down. And it should feel kind of like awkward, the amount of water that you're lobbing down there where you're like, ah, okay, that's enough. Shut it down, boom, move in, right? And then if you can, that last 10 to 20 feet before the fire uh, area, that's really like that final, that final area where I think it is, if you're gonna flow, if you're gonna have any ability to flow and move at all, that is like the most critical area is that last 10 to, 10 to 20 feet. I heard a a thing a long time ago, one of my mentors that retired off of, uh, uh, out of Everett, uh, Captain Tanaka, he used to have this thing. He would say that, um, he called it plume flame, but essentially it's just, uh, when a room, when a room flashes over and you've got fire ripping out of that room, it can extend one and a half times the height of the ceiling, uh, uh, laterally. Right. That's that. There's just that, you know, clean burning fire. Boom one and a half times the height of the ceiling. I heard uh, Fields say a while ago that one room, you're about 10 feet out from the doorway is kind of that uh, UTEC, you know, is their red zone in the UL studies, but like that it's about 10 feet for one room. That's kind of the, the, like, you've got a lot of heat, a lot of fire in that zone. And for two rooms of fire, you've got about 20 feet, right? So, and that kind of matches up. Both of those figures kind of match up with each other. When you've got rooms that are on fire, that's, when I hit a room that's full of a bunch of like turbulent, nasty, hot smoke, I can really cool that area down pretty effectively, right? But when I start getting water down a hallway or into an area where I've got rooms that are now driving that heat out into the, the common areas, um, it's going to rebound fast into that common area, right? And it's going to drive hard and fast out that common area as soon as my stream shuts down. So you can get away with shutting the line down a little bit further away from the fire. But once you're close up to it, sometimes you can't get away from it, especially if it's wind driven, right? You just have to keep the nozzle open. There are times where there's just no two ways about it. You're gonna get run out of the building if you don't keep the nozzle open. Uh, but also it's just what is best for you and for everybody around you to keep that nozzle open. That last 10 feet minimum to 20 feet is kind of that, that upper edge of that maximum distance and if you can if you can flow while moving 10 to 15 feet as your target in a straight line to a right or a straight line to a left if you can do just that you're gonna crush a lot of fires really well like that's that's if and i there's a lot of different ways to flow and move uh and it's really hard after the amount of people that i've worked with and all that kind of stuff it's really hard for me to buy that somebody can't do uh, 10 to 15 feet with an inch and three quarter line open to a left turn or a right turn. So 
Absolutely. And I think that's the, the, the heart of this discussion too, is you know, just realizing con- context and understanding the difference between you know, the, the caliber of fire we're talking about, the, the post flashover fire where the fire's trying to leave the room of origin. And then you know, taking into context too, the knockback versus knockdown. If your stream isn't reaching the seat of the fire, you're merely knocking back the, the gases and byproducts that are extending out and as you beautifully said, the closer you get, the, the shorter intervals those uh, that rebound is going to occur in. So most of our, our pushes are going to be that 10 to 15 feet. Once we hit that juncture, we're on that approach, that, that approach in that, that corridor, the, that long hallway. And that's where we're going to typically start that, that push from. And there, there's enough data now and you know, uh, also just it can, is verified through plenty of people's experiences that a good flow and move approach is going to be more effective and more efficient too with not only you know the changes in conditions but also another common retort is the water usage and i think they measured that as well where a flow and move approach a continuous flow and move approach actually you reach the seat of the fire quicker and you utilize less cumulative water output so it's and then the, the, the thing that we have to remember is, and this is something I harp on, everything that we do should be with the preservation of life and property in mind. And it's not just because we can advance in further doesn't mean that we should. Just because we're not uncomfortable doesn't mean that uh, the victims aren't in peril. Yeah, that's that's the, the, the key point here is our SCBA and our turnout gear has gotten so advanced now that you know, we just can't simply rely on our, our sense of, of feeling to know when it's time to, to open up the nozzle that that crashing into the, the seat of the fire is just not is going to be what's best for the for the victims, the vast majority of the time. So uh, I think that's really at the heart of, uh, of this discussion here and what I really wanted to get across. And I think you you painted that picture beautifully by touching on all of the, the nuance and really you know, framing that that context to, to this this discussion. So I, I can't thank you enough for that. And uh, if there's any other closing remarks you want to leave the audience with, uh, you know, please feel free to do so. Oh, man, that, no, that just that that last piece, uh, that last question of, you know, when to hit, hit move and flow while moving all that kind of stuff is it's just such a such a critical one. And I think if there's a, you know, a message for for people to kind of take back, it's it's that, um, uh, when you decide to engage with the fire, nozzle open more than nozzle close. Keep the nozzle open and ideal all the way to the fire room. Uh, but you, you know, just when you go back to your department and you're drilling with your guys and stuff, you know, you're going to have somebody say, well, what, you know, what about a hoarder house? Like I can't do that in a hoarder house or whatever. Right. And we want to kind of distill it down. And, and people's experiences are valid, right? I've been in hoarder houses. You've been in hoarder houses. I mean, trying to flow while moving in a hoarder house is very difficult to impossible, right? And so what do you fall back on? What's the next best thing that I can do? And it's take those same principles of that mapping, like stream takes the shape of the box, reach and punch. And I want to reach and punch to and through the doorway that I'm going to. Like if I'm in a hallway, and I have a room on fire at the end of the hallway, this is a mistake that a lot of people make, is they will just focus on cleaning out and cooling down this hallway 
and you've got this room that's venting back in the, it's just exhausting heat and smoke. That's the problem. So your stream should go boom, 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 clear out the hallway, cool, stream into the room, right? And then if it's just cluttered and you got to shut down from that point and you shut it down quick, get back on the gas, couple steps quick, boom, 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 start it high, go low again, back into that room, right? Because that water going into that doorway is what puts that fire out. It's what stops that stuff from rebounding and all that. If you just clean out the hallway, it's it's going to drive back on you in a it very quickly, right? And so, uh, but in an ideal world, right? It's nozzle open, boom, 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 clean out that hallway. There's the door that's on fire. I can see that kind of glow drive back a little bit. Keep my stream in that general direction as I turn. Take that turn like a forklift with your back end first, right? I don't want to take like angles. I would, don't want to take 90 degree angles. I want to turn like a forklift on my way in and keep to that outside. Boom, 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 boom. Fires out, pause at the doorway, crush it, wash it down, call it a day. And you you hit on the water usage. Um, you know, they did test or they they kept track of water usage, hit and move, flowing and moving, flowing and moving. Uh, it, you were not water damaging the building. You're using the same, if not less, uh, total volume of water and uh really i'll just say like i don't like using anecdotal experience a, a ton as if it's like definitive right there's a, a time and a place for it but also it's not like infallible but i will say this after having done this um you know on a lot of acquired structures and, and in my field experience i will say that uh people who flow more water more deliberately pause take a slow pace on the fire, uh, on their approach to the fire, uh, all of that kind of stuff. People who are able to flow and move, there is so much less overhaul after it's, after it's all done because everything, all the hot spots are gone. We're not going after and chasing all these hot spots all over the place. It's just everything goes cold, wet, fast, and you go into tear, you, you know, you're, you're still going to overhaul and tear some drywall and all, you know, whatever, lathing plaster, whatever you got to do. But the amount of hot spots that are festering and spreading while we're chasing stuff down is so significantly less. Uh, you end up getting overhaul done faster and you end up with so much less rekindle potential. It's it's just uh, I cannot hit on that enough. And, you you know, we hit on the you said the life safety and the property cons conservation and we hit on that life safety because it's absolutely the most important. But like that, that next tier of that property conservation, if you want to conserve people's property and if you want to limit your, uh, your potential for possible rekindles, uh, flow more water, man, because you're going to crush that stuff and just be done with it. Yeah. So I think that just about sums it up beautifully, you know, deliberate movement and steady pace and just that's it. So uh, that's a perfect way to, to wrap this up at right, right around the, the one hour mark. And I think anybody who's listening in is going to walk away with a tremendous uh, value. And the whole purpose is, of this is to have somebody walk away from this discussion, just like they would from the kitchen table with a, with a, with a senior firefighter and be able to take the nuggets and lessons learned and apply them to their next fire. And I think that we've, we've done that and then some, Jay. So I can't thank you enough for taking your time out and joining me for this discussion. And if anybody wants to get a hold of you, how can they do so? 
Oh man. Yeah. They, no, first off, thanks for, thanks for having me, man. Uh, Nick, it's always, always a pleasure, but, uh, yeah, man, our, our conversations are always just so, so fruitful for me. I learned a ton from you, man. And, and these fireside chats are just, just killer. I love the, love the format and just the, just the facts, no fluff. Uh, I'm all about it. So I love it. And, uh, yeah, people want to, want to get a hold of me. Um, yeah, I, uh, teach for, uh, West coast fire training and, and, uh, with Cody at brothers in battle. And then, um, uh, Derek Roberts and, and, uh, Laguerre and Todd Weigel at uh, the educated engine. And so we're just kind of, you know, um, I have a, I have a Facebook and that's, that's about it. So, but I, I'm always, always up to, to chat whenever, you know, there might be some of my uh, little little kids running around in the background uh, screaming and beating on each other. But uh, yeah, man, whenever I'm a- available, uh, I'm always down to chat fire. So, well, thank you again. And thank you for tuning in. And you can find more content at firesidetraining.org. And make sure that you subscribe and like the podcast on either the Apple platform or Spotify platform. So thanks for tuning in and uh, look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Fireside Chat. Thanks, everyone. Take care and stay safe.